Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danson, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. You know, it's, it migrates over automatically to the new client server. So for anyone that hasn't done it yet, that would be like saying, let's say that hypothetically speaking, you are censored on Twitter. And let's say that you had a private key with your login on Twitter. Well, then you could take that private key over to Facebook. All of your followers and information that you had previously on Twitter has now migrated over to Facebook on that different client server and so it's you you can't be censored it's it's really cool it's an infancy stage um but i think as as bitcoiners it's definitely something that i recommend people at least try out um there's a lot of us who are hosting spaces to help people at least you know get it set up and and see how it works but uh definitely really interesting and, and great for um not being censored And having a decentralized social media is the the goal. How does um how does the lightning interact with it? Because I saw that that joke going around, not a joke, but uh, like uh, Vitalik went on it, I guess, and then he posted a tweet, and then Jack came out and was like charged him for it. So it's like to push your tweet (laughs) forward, you gotta put lightning on it, or how does it? How does that? No, it's just like the the lightning button on on Twitter. (laughs) so you can um it's cool because you can post a lightning invoice and it looks really cute the way it populates depending on the client server that you're using um but you can send lightning tips and you can pay invoices just by simply pasting they call them notes there um just by simply posting your lightning invoice into a note i'm not sure i haven't heard anything about charging people or anything of that nature um, but right now it's just, it's so new and there's just, it's just fun to kind of tinker around with. What's an example of content you might see on Noster right now that's different from Bitcoin, uh, from Twitter or Bitcoin Twitter? Uh, so it's like, I don't know, it's like early internet days. So it's co- content wise. You have to, I mean, to even see an image, you have to post an image URL. Uh, so I think it's just right now people are just like, oh, what is this? This is neat. This is interesting. So it's kind of like sending somebody out on a great adventure without a roadmap is, is, is the best way to describe it right now. Uh, so content-wise, uh, you're not going to see too much. I think it's just people figuring it out. At least that's been my experience so far. Gotcha. Cool. 
So what would be an easy way for people to get started? I see the string of characters also that Jacob alluded to um, on Noster. Is there like a good tweet storm you recommend or do they just reach out to you or? Um, Gigi, has one. Gigi has a good okay. one uh, that's been really helpful. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's really easy. If you just want to get started, just go to Astral or go to Damas. But yeah, I can, I can put something in the comments. Uh, Derek Ross yes, has been please. really helpful for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so it, it only takes a few minutes once you figure out what it is. And, um, it can get a little confusing because there's relays that you have to add in there, which is kind of like, I like to compare it to opening a channel with someone on, on their node. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like that. That gives you kind of like access to share information. Um, but yeah, I can put some information in the comments. That'd be great. Yeah. You're now our resident. No star expert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. What's up, Tomer and Ant? Hey, good day. Happy day, guys. Just uh, tuning in and listening to what you guys are talking about. I spent some time with Lauren in the Nostra group yesterday and have been playing around with it. I don't want to tell people that there's any hurry to get on there if you're not the experimental type, but if you are, it's definitely fun. Is anybody aside from Bitcoiners using Nostra? Vitalik was apparently on there yesterday, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. I, I mean, it seems to be an overwhelmingly Bitcoin uh, crowd. Right? Sorry, I uh, don't worry about it. My bad. I don't know if Vitalik um, verified himself because there's a way you can verify with your private key. Um, at uh, Noster.directory. Uh, and so it'll verify to your Twitter profile so that people, uh, you know, don't have, you don't have fake, um, fake people running around. So I don't know if uh, Vitalik's verified or not. I'm not sure if that's the real one or not. I think Tomer was in the matrix. Anybody else get that? Sorry, yeah, I, I got you now. I got you now. Okay, yeah. Somehow my mic went on you. No, I was saying there's also a real and a fake. Add them back on there, so you have to find. You know, you have to do your homework to figure out which one's the real one, because uh, the fake one came on first. Uh, so it's going to go through all of these uh, learning uh, and growing pains, right? Learning curves and growing pains. But I think part of what's so interesting about it is. It is a open source community. Anyone can contribute to it. Anyone can make changes. Anyone can learn from any benefits that anyone has. And the incentives aren't broken. It's not trying to make money off of your attention. Um, it's, so it's not trying to push ads to you. It's not trying to indoctrinate you. Like It's not doing anything. This is kind of like the same thing with Bitcoin. It's, it, it doesn't have a CEO who's under pressure from the board of directors and the shareholders to make it more valuable. Uh, it's just the users who are making it more valuable. And I think that gives it an interesting profit value maximizing strategy, value being measured in dollars. Or... Cool. 
Looks like I'm having connection problems. Yeah, you were cutting out a bit. If you want to, um, I can bring you back up or, or whatever. But No, I, I'm just switching networks. I, I think I'm in a room in my house where the Wi-Fi just isn't strong, so I've switched over to cellular, and hopefully that'll take care of me. That helps my issues so much. A lot of times I'm walking around in the house or, I'll, you know, whatever, and you just get into one of those dead zones, but, like, cellular seems to be stronger connection for spaces for me which is strange because in my mind i always think of wi-fi as like the more stable connection versus cellular but not for space yeah, so I talk, yeah that's a good point and i talked to this um ftc regulator and while they're not obviously kind of wi-fi cellular experts um she was saying that their office they pursue a lot of cases against Wi-Fi providers because they don't provide the promised um, reliability, uptime, or speed. Yeah, it's definitely and I, a scam. I definitely have that problem myself. Sorry, Nico, go ahead. No, it's definitely a scam. Uh, the only like the only kind of fix that I see is getting like business internet versus residential. Ah, it looks like it looks like they hard. take it a lot more seriously, but it's also a lot more expensive. But in terms of upload speed, it's yeah, a lot I, higher. And um, it's just a lot more reliable in general. Like business internet is just better, but residential it's tip. cheaper. Yeah, it's, it's everyone's like, oh, it's residential, but the residential like it looks like they don't take it as seriously. Yeah, I have to call them all the time, and they're like, oh, you have. You have excellent Wi-Fi in your area. I was like, my speed is whatever it is, you know, something really low. Is Jacob here today? I love you. Oh, yeah. Jacob. What's oh. up? What's up? Oh. Uh, I also do want to shout out my boy, Tao. I saw your uh, super awesome cufflinks, bro. I love those. Are you going to be bringing them to PVC? You love them, right? <laughs> Hey, so apparently... Wait, I don't know anything about this. Catch me up. I'll pin it in the nest. He got a just a cool okay, gift. Cool. So apparently, ah, Jacob, apparently it's the Pacific Bitcoin Festival now. It's not a conference Yes, anymore. that is my bad. My bad. The Bitcoin Pacific Bitcoin Festival. I like that. I like that name. Celebration. It's a week-long festival, so we got music, we got hangouts, all the stuff. It's not just a boring conference where you go sit in a room and learn. It's like you're going there to meet connections and hang out with Bitcoiners. It's a festival, man. Wait, so it's a week It's a week in 2023? Well, right? no, but you know what I'm saying. If you get down yeah, there, yeah, you're going to have got, the whole week you. to do stuff. We got the toxic happy or the happy hour pleb party and all sorts of stuff. I got you. Yes. Yeah, last year we, or not last year, uh, last month we had a beach party on Saturday after the conference was quote unquote over. I got there. So way, yeah, just a lot of side activities. I got there uh, to that beach party like way too early. And then like me and five other swans, like they had to catch some flights. So we ended up leaving at about 4 p.m. And then right at like 5 p.m., 5.30, there was like 200 people on the beach. When I was there, there was like 20. It was still a great time, but I was just like, yeah. okay, I guess I got to, you know, people got to go to the airport or whatever. And then, no, it ended up being like the biggest thing on the, the docket, the event. 
yeah, it's amazing. I think uh, people really wanted to catch the sunset and yeah. How is everyone's uh, orange peeling over Christmas uh, weekend? I know, I know it's hard in the bear market. I my family Bitcoin my family, just doesn't come up as much for me. But go ahead, Mika. Yeah, my family is so like they've they've you know they've spent well, the five, last five six years listening to me talk like a maniac. Uh, but I don't know, man. Like I, I think I've converted every single one of them because NGU technology is very strong. I think maybe like the first or first one or two years, they were just like, this guy's crazy. Uh, but six years later, they're like, ah, maybe he's onto something. I quite don't understand everything, but uh, this Bitcoin thing is dope. Yeah. Um, I'm the same with Nico. Like my, my family and my friends, they know I talk about it way too much. Like, and, it's, it was it was hard, but some of them did did, did get get um get some Bitcoin. Um, my mom actually was actually she understood the properties behind like money and, and gold and what she's gone through. So if, when I explained to her that that's what it is, she was like she caught she got it like right away. It's weird, right? Because she's you know much older than everybody else and. The other people are like, oh, this is like concerned, but she's like, okay, I know what this means. You know, she she's gone through, you know, times of like, you know, state oppression, things like that, and you know, people converting money, things like that, all these things. So she knew right away that okay, well, this is cool. I, I don't know, I don't know how to hold it. You're gonna have to help me take care of everything. But you know, she she was like right away, she got it. But the the rest of the people, um, like, I don't talk to them about it anymore because. I don't want it to seem like I'm annoying them anymore. Like I went to the uh, Christmas, uh, like a Christmas Eve party, and I didn't say anything because every time I go there, um, or any sort of party, it was just with the same group of people. Like when I start, when I get going, I would talk like for an hour or so, and then you know, I just, I just feel that maybe I'm overdoing it, so I just let them approach me, or if they ask a question, then I go. Other than that. You know, I, I I don't bring it up anymore. If they're bringing up like a random topic, um, and do you, like if they're talking about taxes or anything like that, do you typically tie in Bitcoin with that, or do you wait for people to genuinely ask you about Bitcoin specifically? Because it interacts with so many sectors that I find like it's tough to not bring it up, even if it's like something that's on like the seventh degree of relativity. You know what I mean? Like if it's something completely out there, I still find myself a way to bring it back to Bitcoin. So yes. do you, what, with that, like, how do you, do you just kind of keep a chill or do you? I, I do. I do. I bring it up. I, I do kind of bring it in. That would come out. Oh, that's an opening to bring it up. But I'm, I'm being very careful because even though there is, it's because I talk about it so much that they're going to look at me like, oh, here, here, here we go again sort of thing. Right. But at, at least I did actually, no, I'm going to take, take something back. Like, my daughter's birthday, I had a whole bunch of people come over, and um, um, I did actually talk to some people about Bitcoin that time because that's my party, so I don't care. It's like, I'm going to talk about it, right? So 
one thing I did that was helpful was I did have my computer up and everything, and I showed them like Bitfy, where it has the interaction and the box dropping, and this that was much easier to show them. They were more interested. They're like, oh, what is this? I'm like, look, look at this block, this tiny block. You know, it's like a twenty dollar transaction, but hey, look at this big block. It's like twenty million dollar transaction, and I said, I'm just showing you guys this because I'm just this is not BS. This is real. I'm just showing you this right here, and I got a chance to you know go deeper, and then also telling them, uh, showing them that the mining aspect behind it, like just bring up a YouTube video and show them all the mining facilities and what's going on. They say, look, I said people investing millions of dollars just for a facility, well, you know, to 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 mine Bitcoin. They're paying a million dollar electricity bill, but yet they're getting a million and five hundred thousand dollars worth of. Bitcoin, and they know they make a profit. I say this is real. This is a real economic uh, game theory, um, system network that you need to, you know, you have to be aware how it works. So that that allowed me to kind of just you know, get their attention. And then they they did ask me a little bit more. And so I think I got some more people who are more interested, so that they don't know I'm like just making crap up. And so so I did talk a little bit about it on, on a separate party. I did wear my stack chain legend shirt yesterday and they did ask me about that. So like, that was the time that I brought it up. Cause they're like, what is that? I was like, let me tell you, let me show Smart. you. As soon as they bring up any kind of political stuff, you're like, see, this is what I've been fucking trying to tell you guys. <laughs> exactly. No, my friends and family, I think they've finally reached that point where either they are just, Either they're just like so tired of hearing me talk about it because I did go in hard early days, you know, and they're either just like sick of it or they know about it, like where they are. Maybe they've bought and didn't tell me and they're on the bus. After the breakout in 20 in December 2020 past 20K, I did receive several like what I would say is like congratulatory messages from my friends and family. I had people saying, like, you were right. My mom told me she was proud of me. All this stuff, you know? So I kind of already got, like, a little bit of, like, you know, validation or, like, recognition from my friends and family about Bitcoin. So I don't really know, like, you know, if it's going to continue this way. But Thanksgiving and Christmas for me were quiet on the Bitcoin front. Maybe now that they know about it as much as they do, they know better. They know enough to keep their mouth shut <laughs> at times like this. Yeah, during during the run up, um, well, last year, um, twenty twenty one, some people did ask me. They said, um, of course, they they just say I want to get more interested in what I learned learn about a little bit. But they're like, oh, you were uh, telling us all this time around five thousand, and I'm like, yeah. I say, look, this is just this is just the beginning, and they're asking me, did you sell? I'm like, no. And so I say, uh, they're 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 so confused as to why. Like, oh my god, like, are you crazy? Like, you know, like why are you not doing it? I'm like. I say it's, it's more. I say it's more, more to it than that. Like it's more to like actual fiat gains. It's, there's more to it. I said the reason why I don't is because like to me it's kind of like a revolution, like a peaceful revolution sort of thing. 
and that it's important for the future of just the world and society. I just tell them that. See, they're like, hmm. They're they're just so like dumbfounded by that. They're like, hmm. I'm not sure how to apply because you know they're always thinking in that mindset, and they don't even understand deeply how the money system runs and can be so corrupted and how it affects so many people. Um, and then, you know, I just told him, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, this is why I'm not. I was like, what I would do is I'll spend when I can spend it. But for now, no. So it was interesting. Yeah, there is something to that, right? If they don't think the money is broken and they kind of are blind to that and still living in the fiat world, it's hard, much harder uh, in my experience, to orange pill them and get them to buy significant Bitcoin. They might do a little bit, like just in case it takes off, but they kind of need to understand what is the problem that they have that they don't realize they have that Bitcoin solves, which is broken money. And then, and then to tell the truth, that the four of the five years that I've been talking about Bitcoin with many people has not gone in vain. People have but people have started to understand it. Unfortunately, they bought it at 35K, things like that, right? Um, when I check back with them, like, how's it going? They're like, oh, yeah. And then they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm holding this. Like, even 35K, they, they, they said they, they bought it, they held it. Like, I was a guy, right, at work. I was a Bitcoin guy, cafeteria, everything. Um, but, you know, it's not like, okay, nobody did anything. There were people who bought, people under, some bought, but they didn't fully understand, and they still had it on exchange, et cetera. But other people did, and then other people were just like, yeah, I understand, I'm not gonna, they just buy, they're not, they're not selling. So, so yeah, it, it was like, there is some sort of accomplishment there. They're not selling because uh, you help them self-custody or move their Bitcoin to cold storage, or they just, no, no, they, they they understood it. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't know about the, I didn't help them self um, custody. I offered. I was hey, you know, if you need it, have any questions, like I offer everybody. Hey, I said, look, if you have any questions, just just ask me. Just hit me up on a weekend, and I was I'm I'm literally like saying, give me my free time, dedicate an hour, whatever, to explain to you, to help you walk through it, but. Nobody kind of ticks me up on that offer. They're like, you know, I'll just keep it there. You know, they 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 think it's it's kind of like safe, like a, you know, a tradfi where you log into a TD Ameritrade or whatever. Oh, you log into your account and it's gonna be like be there, right? That's what they're thinking. They don't. I mean, even though I explained like a million times, like it's different. Um, it's not like that. They just still didn't. Don't seem like it's very urgent or. They're under pressure for some reason, so I don't know why, but yeah, they just think it's like okay, they're stop, uh, you know, application when they log in and buy sell stocks. So my orange pilling this Christmas was uh, getting all my daughters some Sats cards from CoinCart, CoinKite. Bought it at the so Thanksgiving sale. I have a question sale. for the panel. Uh, let me just read this. Hey, uh, uh, Terrence, uh, were you able to hear orange yeah. pill? Oh no, I did not. Cannot. Uh, I I was hearing you, Orange. You were. Uh, he was just giving his his story. But uh, do you want to hop back up for one second and see if uh, Terrence yeah, can hear you when you come back real quick? Yeah. Oh, you Robert, hear me, Terrence. 
Terrence, maybe you should hop down and come back and I'll, yeah, I'll okay. bring you back up. I'll do that. Yeah, oh, cool. Go for it, Orange Bill. Yeah. And, and awesome photo, awesome. man. Awesome photo. <laughs> that was right after the uh, – um, oh, what was it? I think it was uh, Why Are We Bullish? Um, right at the end of the, uh, uh, the you were, conference you were, there. You were there for the VIP Why Are We Bullish? Uh, yeah, well, Sailor was on stage. <laughs> right, yeah, right. the VIPs were at the uh, Swan Dome, right? <laughs> um, anyhow, um, yeah, bought Sats cards uh, on Thanksgiving, uh, Black Friday sale, paid it, paid for them with Bitcoin, and then I used those Sats cards. I loaded them up, and uh, we uh, we gave them out to the to the kids, um, and I told them that uh, you know. Don't don't lose the card. There's ten more spots. You send it back. We'll refill it. And uh, once they sweep the funds, they showed us that they could sweep funds uh, and uh, hold their keys. And we would, uh, you know, give them some more Bitcoin, maybe like on their next uh, at birthday time or whatever. So that was our orange pilling experience. I love it. I think that's too cool. And I think gifting Bitcoin is definitely one of the best ways to orange people, orange pill people, because like, you know, I gave uh, some people some last year and it's funny. It's like I ran into them and they still kept on to it. Like I, I would assume that maybe who knows, but no, they, they still hold that and they kind of talk to me about it. But Terrence, are you back? Are you able to hear orange pill? Yes. Uh, nice. That was very cool. And I hey, like your point about gifting. Uh, speaking of gifts, um, I, gifted fewer people this year than last year just last year there was more interest i think and um appreciation it was more buzz but this year i i did give people Bitcoin. it'll be interesting to see if there's a change in the percentage of people that um actually uh take advantage of the bitcoin i gifted because like i do it through swan and it does expire after i think a month Yeah, my my point is with with the kids was I can buy more sats now, and, and you know if it runs back up to the all time highs, you know, times five that, you know, because they're going to look at it in fiat dollars, and then, uh, you know, times five. That's you know potentially if it just goes back if it just goes back to where it, the all time high used to be. Um, so it's just getting them started down that path, right? And and then they, you know. Some of the teenagers don't have too much interest in it, but uh, some of the college-age kids do. So uh, they see the potential. They might not just have the time to put in it at the moment, but um, it gets them started. Excellent. So, you know, is there something wrong with me? I wake up. And just head straight to pick up my phone. And I'm freaking on Cafe Bitcoin. Like, literally in like a minute after waking up. I think it's nice that you want to come hang out with friends. That's what that's what we did. Yeah. That's why we opened the show today, man. I tell you, I hit up Terrence last night. And I was like, hey, you know, if you don't want to do it, it's okay. <laughs> but he was like, no, we got to we gotta have it. Because it's like... You know, I think people need a place yeah. to come and talk about what, I don't know. Like, it was kind of weird Saturday and Sunday. I don't know. I was kind of sitting around. I was like, man, I wish I had some 
Bitcoiners hang out with, even though there's tons of spaces and stuff like yep. Stack Chain and all that. I love it, but yeah. So, so do you guys want me to tell you a really crazy story that just happened last night? And it's Bitcoin, somewhat Bitcoin related. So um, yesterday I was at the Grove with my family, you know, just Christmas, you know, hanging out sort of thing, family thing. And I was taking pictures. It's an outdoor shopping mall for those who don't know. And yeah, outdoor shopping mall. Yeah. And I was just taking pictures, right? Because it's so beautiful everywhere. And so I happened to take a picture where this guy was standing like right in the middle. Right, no, I just took it. And then when I looked at the picture, I'm like, oh, cool. This will be something fun to you know play around with. And so I, I, I tweeted out, I said, oh, hey, look, hi, guys, it's me. You know, you were truly revealed with that picture. And then in a private chat, we have the separate chat, um, other Bitcoin Twitter people and this friend tells this Bitcoin Twitter friend tells me, "Oh my God, like that's my childhood friend from five years ago that I have ne- I haven't seen from for five years now from high school or something like that." So it was like, I know this person, and I happened to snap a picture of a guy that was I I, I know. <laughs> Basically, I know the Bitcoin Twitter friend, right? I didn't know that guy in a picture, but I happened to just take a picture of his friend, and and then and then he 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 started DM his friend and said, "Are you there today?" And well, uh, you know, so just the odds of that happening, the co- the crazy coincidence, that's just crazy, right? I hope I, I I yeah, I hope I'd say that right, but yeah, it was it was it was just crazy. Like you see, that's my. I haven't seen for five years, and it's just wow! How how the chances of that happening, right? It's just crazy. Yes, yes, yes. That used to happen to me all the time in Manhattan when I lived in Manhattan because people would be like in Central Park or walking on Broadway, and you just run into people all the time, like people you hadn't seen in quite a while. So it's very cool. Very cool that happens um, in LA and other parts of the world as well. So I do have a question from um, one of our friends. um, They say that they have a a relative who's going to be with them for a few months, uh, living with them, and this person makes pretty good salary what kind of orange pill tips do people have for me i would say it's they need to kind of think about um how bitcoin solves a problem that they have or that they don't realize they have which is how you know their money's being inflated and debased and confiscated or at risk of being confiscated increasingly so they need to get ahead of it and just you know, start learning, start buying some, start stacking. What do y'all think? So one one thing I would say is um, do not go too deep, especially with the technical stuff. Um, the reason why yes. is because I, 
right? The reason why is it'll overwhelm them. They're, they're, they're not going to understand it, right? Don't even go uh, deep about, you know, all the concepts. Uh, to me, um, do the money route first because I think that it's a little bit more under uh, easy to understand for them. Just talk about that first. Like, when I did that, it was easier. But when, when I did that whole, like, oh, whiteboarding, drawing the blocks, talking about you know, the tech side, <laughs> they're like, what the hell are you talking about, right? They're like, you know, this is going to get it. So um, I had much uh, uh, much better success when I talk about money and the properties because they're like, okay, this piece of paper, you know, go. Once I explain all that and the advantages of Bitcoin over those things, they're like, oh, yeah, that that totally makes sense. And then you tell them, tell them about the future, right? Everybody's moving to cashless society. Um, you know, everybody has a freaking phone. Uh, you know, you can see the trend basically telling them that this is the trend that, you know, we're moving towards and, you know, this is the best thing ever. Then they, they're like, okay, they get excited and then they do say, okay, yeah, help, help, help me out. How do I get this? I think it would be helpful to find out if like how this person became successful like if they're you know and then try to hit them with that angle you know the you know if they're you know uh successful oil baron for example or tycoon whatever you want to say well then it's like maybe they need to understand more about the good work that upstream data is doing uh you know and and understand how that can relate to their business if they have a business and they're not a you know super wealthy like super successful they're just you know they've, they've got a business and they're you know a store owner or whatever that's a perfect opportunity how does bitcoin fit into you know the friction points uh you know that that you have in your small business those are the types of things that i think because there's all these little assets i mean aspects that can apply to you know uh, different industries and different people in different positions Absolutely. So I have a uh, financial advisor friend and he's trying to convince me that it's just all the rich people are going to end up buying up Bitcoin and then they're going to dump on us. And, you know, he's like, what's going to happen when it goes to a million dollars? They're all going to sell and the, the price of it's going to tank. And I told them, by the time it goes to a million dollars, you're not going to want to sell it because your fiat's going to be worth crap, buddy. He just doesn't understand it. He's completely fiat minded. So it's really hard to get wow. through to him because he just thinks that, you know, all these big, big, uh, rich traders are just going to buy it all up and dump it. So, so I'm glad you brought that up because um, I posted in the nest just a second uh, post about how Will Clemente, uh, someone we used to like <laughs> as Bitcoiners, maybe we still like him as a person, but um, um, not so much as tweets because he's now a shitcoiner. Um, but he posted that Bitcoin's volatility is at an all-time low, meaning the price just trades in a narrow range, right? It's range bound between whatever it is, 16 to 18,000 for uh, several weeks now. Um, but if you think about it, 
the price should have the potential to be quite volatile, which what is going to cause some people, I think, to to dump, not dump on millionaires dumping or rich people dumping on the rest of us, but just people might sell a little bit, um, you know, people who are more trading minded or they're like, oh, Bitcoin feels a little high in the short term just because of all the leverage and hopium. And maybe I'll sell a little bit with the hope that I can rebuy later. That's been a big mistake uh, historically, by the way, because Bitcoin reaches higher and higher uh, local lows. But anyway, I wanted to talk about that versus the fact that all this Bitcoin, be, the price will be more volatile potentially both to the upside and downside because all this Bitcoin is coming off exchanges to um, you know, self-custody and cold storage. So because you're reducing the amount of Bitcoin that is effectively out there, that people could buy or sell and trade or invest in. There's just not as much of it left because people are learning how to self-custody and the importance of it, especially given the FTX debacle and all the other things that are blowing up, BlockFi, Celsius, and so forth. Um, so I wanted to get you guys' thoughts and takes on that. Um, it seems like we part of what we should would be good to tell people is, hey, this is something that's obviously volatile, right? It went to 69,000. Now it's at 17. A lot of people know that or 18,000 or whatever it is, 16,000, 16,800 something, I think. Um, but you just need to be prepared that it's going to be go up and down for a while. If you think in terms of fiat terms, US dollars or whatever. But if you think in terms of one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, which eventually you know, more and more people would do, then uh, Bitcoin is totally fine, right? It's the only asset that doesn't really change. Uh, the monetary policy is credibly fixed. So thoughts on that, anyone? I don't know if Fuxworth, did you have something to add to this part? Hey, yo, good morning, yo, everybody. Um, Knife NFT in New York City. So I I, I just want to share this, um, this, this, this soundbite of the best explanation of what Bitcoin is. Just tell me if, if you have sound, listen, just listen to this for those who are new. Just wanna, just wanna share, watch, give me one second. So this is like a, a Do we lose them? Yeah, I think we may have. Um, Anyone else on Bitcoin volatility and just the current lots of stable coin turns. It's a stable coin right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so um no going back to about okay, uh they're gonna buy all the Bitcoin and you're gonna dump. The way I look at it is there's always gonna be more and more that's gonna be completely gone. And the reason why is because as people learn about Bitcoin. Yes, there's going to be some who sell some of them, but each and every one of us and each and every one um, it, people who understand it, they're going to hold a certain portion, like no matter if it goes to whatever price, right? One million, 10, they don't care. It's, it's, it's going to be a different 
a thing by that time, right? Like people are gonna hold it no matter what. And when you get more and more people doing that, then it's just gonna be less and less on the market. Cause that's the whole notion behind this finite asset that 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 is there first time ever, right? So that's gonna happen. Um, it's just a matter of time. Yes. Like, like I, I want to spend my sats. Like, I want to spend my sats. So, if there was, do you the, spend and replace or? Um. No, I haven't been able to spend it the way I want to spend it. Like I wanted to spend like as if like um in El Salvador, like there's places just you know you spend it right. And there's no worry about capital gains and things like that. And I was waiting for the assignment that you know Strike and Jack Mahler's talked about last year in the Bitcoin conference, but nothing came about that yet. Right, not even one big retail store. So I'm a little disappointed there because what what they talked about, you know, had a lot of promise, and I was expecting at least one. Just give me one. I, I, you know, I know it takes time. There's all this legal things behind it, et cetera, right? But I'm just waiting. Still, nothing's come. Yeah. So I'll chime in on here a little bit. Um, so the reason I believe that happened was 2021. The the established players didn't know El Salvador was going to happen, right? Um, but Bitcoin 2021 was like this magical conference, so much hype, Nayib Bukele speaking, strike, you know, all these crazy, crazy things happening. And then 2022, the incumbents kind of dug their heels in, so to speak. So and I'm seeing this from the perspective of I have to cover the new Bitcoin news every day and the escalation and the hostility and the regulatory attacks and the social attacks just escalated. And I suspect that could be behind one of the reasons that a lot of those companies that Mahler said was we're going to allow, you know, payments with Bitcoin uh, all of a sudden backed off. And Remember what happened in um, in in 21 as well, right? You had Elon. He said, "Hey, you know, we're going to accept Bitcoin uh, for Teslas on the Tesla website." And it's almost as if someone tapped on his shoulder. And not too long, not too long later, uh, he pulled it off the website and he gave, you know, oh, Bitcoin's bad for the environment, you know. And we know that that is one of the strongest social attacks on Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin mining right now, is, you know, Bitcoin uses too much energy. It's bad for the environment. So I suspect what happened in 2022 was pushback from the established players. Also, Peter Thiel um, did, I think that's his name. Um, basically, he did a panel on if Bitcoin, for Bitcoin to get to the next level, basically, I don't want to, you know, advocate violence or anything, but basically the established players need to go away. And he mentioned Charlie Munger, he mentioned Warren Buffett, he mentioned Jamie Dimon, right? And those individuals have a tremendous amount of influence 
you know, over everything, right? Um, and then there is one other like kind of signal. And if you if you connect the dots with all the things that I'm saying, it kind of paints a story. Is that year in 2022, Bitcoin the the Bitcoin Magazine conference live stream was pulled off air. Like they YouTube just deleted it for absolutely no re reason. And apparently, um, one I, I can't name any names, but I have very good sources that one very established, powerful man got very angry at one of the speakers' um, presentations because he basically, in that presentation, he said he named the person by name and he said, look, this person is a problem. This person, you know, uh, is evil, basically. And apparently that person got very pissed off and through back channels, he made it well known that he got very pissed off. And coincidentally, that's when the live stream got pulled, pulled, uh, got pulled. So I think really 2021, the established players didn't know it was coming. And then El Salvador came out of the woodwork. It spooked the hell out of them, right? You had the mainstream media machine turn on and start attacking El Salvador. And you also remember guys like, the U.S. Congress bipartisan effort passed a bill to investigate El Salvador for making Bitcoin legal tender, right? So like it clearly spooked a lot of people. And I suspect that's why you, in 2022, you didn't see so many great announcements that you saw in 2021, because in 2021, nobody was fighting back. It was all like, they were all kind of caught uh, by surprise, caught flat-footed, so to speak. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Oh, and yeah. to me, it's to me, it's really scary. I don't know how people think. Like, um, but for me, like it highlights the sort of like you know, suspicion I have about there is a sort of somewhat of a higher system that runs the show. And this just shows that something like that is a possibility, which is, you, you can't imagine that it goes that deep and that, I guess, nefarious, et cetera. But hearing those stories, Nico, what you're saying, it's a, it makes me feel first bad, but also like, man, I can't believe there's actual people out there like that, that, that does these sort of things. So I, I just want to interject and pile yeah, on right there, Tao remind you and i know me and you are probably the same generation but do you remember when like congress was trying to tell musicians not to use swear words and 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 more relevant to bitcoin and technology innovations do you remember when the telecom companies were trying to rally political will to put some impediment to the spread of voice over ip i mean there, there's been round after round of in, a, in our lifetime, to the government trying to slow something down that's really inevitable. And when it comes to these technological things, much more than, uh, you know, foul language and music, but uh, <laughs> the technology innovations, these paradigm shifts that come, there's an inevitability about them because they are technological and because they are paradigm shifts. It's no other reason. It's not that like the, the people who are incumbent in power are either successful or fail at convincing people that this new thing is no good. 
because it's technology, it actually takes over. It actually, you know, makes something that was previously the, the status quo, uh, makes it irrelevant. So that's what we're living in the midst of. It's an amazing thing to watch play out in real time. I think that was a, a good breakdown by Nico. Um, and, and there is a, a very distinct now they fight you phase. And in that environment, a lot of giant corporations that might have been very open to launching some new payment platform in their stores. They might think twice about that, but it might yeah. only be another year or two before that, that changes direction as well. Yeah, TC, absolutely, TC. Yeah, all I listen, guys. All I wanted for Christmas was to have a good Nico rant to wake up to. Um, Nico, thank you uh, for always supplying the heat. And you're absolutely right. When it comes to this stuff, and, and here, here was here's the most disheartening thing over the past three years of the lockdowns. Okay, um, this you know I'm from an older generation. You know, going to be 52 this year. Um, growing up in the 70s and 80s, and you hear all the stories from your parents and grandparents, um, how the U.S., we had this moral high ground when it came to, you know, fighting World War II, saving the world from communism. This is what you get brought up upon. In three years, they have done more to decimate the trust in every institution um, from science to government. Um, you name it, education. The last three years, I've never seen morale like this and less trust into what we used to think was, you know, authority that had this righteous view of the world. I've never seen anything like it. And, and it's tough, especially, you know, if you're a parent that you're, you're trying to pass on to your children um, that, hey, yeah, look, we, you know, we're doing the right thing here. Man, I, I've never seen anything this low. And especially when it comes with technology, as, as everyone knows, <clears throat> the Internet broke down, broke down that information barrier. You didn't have to be born into a certain uh, society and go to go to schools, these universities. It broke it down and, and it, it it spread it to the world. Bitcoin's going to do the same thing, but it's doing it with money. And you are seeing now that fight back because once they lose control of the money, that, that fight is over for them. Correct. And that's why, you know, that's why like, like every other technical, uh, technological innovation is different, right? Because this one, you know, is for all the marbles, so to speak, like if they lose control of the monetary policy, they lose control of people. And that's a very powerful tool that government has, right? They have the privilege to create money for free that everybody else has to work for. And and it's a very powerful wealth redistribution mechanism. Like if you think about it, right? Like that's how they're able to pay for everything that they can't afford, right? That's how they're, they're able to get through. That's how they're able to uh, get away with deficit spending. Like if you think about it, like not only do we pay income tax in the United States, right? We pay if you earn and save in dollars, you're also paying the inflation tax, right? Under a Bitcoin standard, all the social programs and wars that they get away with today, they would not be able to get away with them because it, the only way to pay for those things is through direct taxation. There was um, in the $1.7 trillion uh, omnibus bill, I, I, you know, I took the time to go through it. There was 
a part, I'm not going to get into any of the political stuff because I think that's irrelevant, but there was a part in that where $65 million went to studying salmon. Uh, $3.8 million went to making highways bee friendly, right? Like I love bees. I love honey, but like, I don't want to be poor for that. You know, uh, then there was, a there was another million dollar, like a couple, couple million dollar allocation to building a, uh, a, basically a monument, a building of Nancy Pelosi herself, you know? So it's like the people that are in charge of the money printer are building buildings after themselves while the rest of us get poorer and this affects the lower middle classes the most, which they are supposedly the ones helping because they don't have the means to save in assets. Therefore, they don't benefit from asset inflation, right? Like if you are very wealthy and you have your money parked in the stock market or your money parked in real estate, every time they print money, the value of your assets goes up. It's really the people that are saving in dollars and earning in dollars that get affected the most. You know, so and Bitcoin to kind of tied up with what Pubby was saying, Bitcoin is a threat to that because it allows individuals to opt out of that madness and say, look, look, I don't want to be stolen from anymore. I'm tired of this bullshit. I don't want to do it. I'm going to take my money into something that can't be debased, can't be confiscated easily and can't be censored. Fuck you. Right. And they don't they can't have that. Right. It, it, it's it's a threat to their racket. It like threatens their standard operating procedure of what they've been getting away with for decades now. The United States has not, I, I have, look, I, I just turned 30. The United States has not stopped being at war since I've been born, right? War is a racket, right? That's how they, they, they enrich themselves through that entire process. And now Bitcoin, here comes Bitcoin, here comes this technology. And it's like, Hey, you know, it allows individuals to save now and you can't steal from them to pay for all the crazy stuff you've been paying for. Of course, they're going to freak out. Of course, you know, you have senators like Elizabeth Warren, Senator like Marshall, you know, releasing that crazy bill two weeks ago that would require software developers in the United States to register with the government uh, so that they could write code like it is so freaking crazy. But if you think about why it's so crazy, if you think about why they've been so hostile, right, like it makes total sense. It is a threat to what the, it is a threat to their racket. And it kind of falls down to all of us. And Corey Clipston wrote this, you know, great article, right? The race to avoid the war, right? We must have a good deal of Bitcoin adoption in the United States, right, in order to avoid that inevitable clash that is going to happen in the next five, 10 years, right? So it really is a race of adoption. It really is about waking up individuals to the reality of Bitcoin, right? To the reality that, hey, you can earn and save in a money that doesn't steal from you, right? But, you know, I, to be honest with you, I'm trying my hardest in the US. That's what I do every single day. I try to make content, you know, try to get the message out. But I am bullish on Central Latin America, because over there, the dynamic's a little bit different, right? They're, I, they're adopting Bitcoin, not out of speculative reasons, which is why most people adopt Bitcoin in the West. They're adopting Bitcoin out of necessity, right? If you're a Venezuelan and you have hyperinflation in your country, you're buying Bitcoin because you're put, you want to put food on the table, right? Um, and that is a much greater incentive 
than any incentive that's here in the West where the bread and circuses are strong and the financial rails are very well developed and the you know the the fiat the, the the inflation rate is not big enough for people to notice they're being stolen from you know it's ever so slight so yeah that's my two sats on that man but it's a, it's a crazy battle but this is the battle of our generation i know we're going to fucking win this at the end of the day hey that might be uh, a, a that slick thank, uh, you. thank you so much uh, nico oh, sorry uh one thing i wanted to point out sorry just uh real quick um i posted in the nest because nico mentioned senators and he also mentioned you know this wealthy person who allegedly all right contacted someone at youtube or whatever and made his um, displeasure widely known when he was being called out at uh, the bitcoin conference in miami the live stream and they took it down um there's uh the twitter files you guys are all familiar with and the censorship going on there and we do have a new senator well for me it's a new senator marcia blackburn who tweeted the twitter files reveal what tennesseans people in tennessee have long known is true big tech companies worked with the deep state to censor americans so not every senator thankfully is um, jumping on this bandwagon to censor Bitcoin or to ruin adoption and attack um, Bitcoin's energy usage and so forth. We now have uh, Lemus, Cruz, uh, Blackburn, maybe some others that I don't know about. So that's at least three U.S. Uh, senators speaking out against censorship, which of course is uh, what Bitcoin is all about, is about money that can't be censored or can't be confiscated, in addition to being hard, right? So that's kind of the three, in my opinion, three of the key properties. To Nico's point, um, and, and I'll wrap and let, let you guys speak, but um, to Nico's point, in the global South and Latin America, Central America, there is a huge need for money that is hard to censor, hard to confiscate, and isn't inflating all the time, like in Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, other countries. They have ridiculous amounts of inflation, far worse than the U.S. Uh, so it's really, really important that they have uh, hard money. Uh, right now, I do think that a lot of them are just focused more on stable coins from Binance and other uh, horrible actors because they just want something that's digital and easy to use. And even though it's easily surveilled, easily censored and confiscated, but they, they just haven't done it yet. They're not really thinking in terms of a hard asset part, uh, at least for daily spending is my understanding, because they just want something that doesn't inflate, you know, 2% or 1% or half percent a day and have something that is, you know, dollar backed or whatever that they can, uh, not dollar backed, do dollar based, uh, stable coin that they can just use. But um, that's where Lightning comes in. And I hope you guys look at companies like Fetty and projects like Fediment that can really help uh, people in Central Latin America, uh, in Latin America and the rest of the global South. Yeah, I, I was just going to tag on to Nico's uh, last comment there about the inflation's not necessarily visible. Because I think that's actually what has changed in the last couple of years. Because I think that um, most of the last couple decades, you could argue that the inflation averaged out low enough that most people didn't notice at all. But I think that it's very hard not to notice it now. I think the big factor that counteracts that 
is that people's time frames and outlook has shortened. So I think more so now than ever, people are really thinking month to month instead of year to year or decade to decade. That effect has compounded. And that's one of the side effects of the monetary policy that, in addition, you know, drives people to riskier behaviors. It also, you know, demonstrably shortens people's outlooks and timeframes. Going back to um, Terrence, you, you, you read a question from the audience and somebody was asking about how to, you know, orange pill someone. That's, that's the starting point as far as I'm concerned, because if you just ask someone who, you know, has a decent job and is taking care of their family, you ask them to try to, you know, forecast, like what, what's your plan for five and a half years from now when your purchasing power is half of what it is today? Because that's essentially the truth of, you know, 7% inflation. If you believe the, uh, the stated inflation numbers, if you believe the CPI, um, that's what it's telling you. It's telling you that five and a half, six years from now, your, your purchasing power is cut in half. So that's what we're facing right now. And that's very different from 20 years from now, your purchasing power is cut in half or, or 10 years from now. It's, it, it's like the, that, that is, is something I, I have a hard time seeing anybody who is sort of in the traditional finance world or in normie world in general. I have a hard time seeing people not being able to sort of at least take pause at that because it's pretty alarming when you think about that time frame. Just five years, five and a half years from now, your purchasing power, whatever you're earning today, those dollars you're making today and your salary or your wages, that's, that's cut in half. So I, th- I think that that's the, that's the challenge. And I think that's why you also see so much sort of propaganda and psyop material around inflation because it, you know, it's Putin's price hike. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys saw a tweet I posted yesterday, but, um, social security, they just increase the payout 8.7%. So they're admitting that, Hey, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that amount, I mean, it's probably more, but they're actually paying for 2023, 8.7% more, um, social security. Yeah, Tal, here, here's a comical part of that is um, Biden and Camp take this uh, the, the largest Social Security increase in so many years. They're trying to take it as a W uh, without telling the people that it's actually tied to law. It's tied to the inflation rate. It had nothing to do with it, man. It's the fact that we have rampant inflation yeah. that they had to. Yeah. No, po- politicians always do that, right? Or most of them. The vast majority, they take credit for things that they have nothing to do with. It's the law. There's a CPI, built-in CPI, adjusted increase in Social Security. Uh, it's hilarious. But one thing I will say, uh, so, so I agree with everything, like TC, that you said. Thank you for that. And Nico, epic, epic rants. Um, <clears throat> TC, on your point about the... Um, money printing right now obviously they've been contracting and inflation uh because it is high much higher than their stated inflation they have had to raise rates there's an argument by some that they also want to remove the notion of the fed put or try to uh 
So they want to destroy um, wealth uh, by destroying the kind of risk asset prices that have those come down because they've gotten to ridiculous levels. Risk must be priced. So um, anyway, whether it's one or the other, or maybe a combination, they have been raising rates, gas prices, at least in California, are now under $4 a gallon in uh, LA, Orange County, in some parts. You might have to go to Costco or Arco, but, you know, and paying cash, not credit card. So gas prices have come down quite a bit, and um, s- some prices are starting to come down. Others are remaining really high. Uh, one thing I want to comment on is real quick on housing. Housing is extremely leveraged in the U.S. Most people, I believe, still buy their homes with um, debt, quite a bit of debt. Maybe they pay 10% down, 20% down. I don't know if they still have those stupid uh, zero income, nothing down uh, housing house purchases that they had in 2006 or whatever before the great financial crisis, the housing crisis in 2008 that when everything blew up, including Lehman Brothers and AIG and everything else. But um, so housing is quite leveraged and because it's illiquid, meaning there's not that much, most people don't, they're not, <clears throat> it's the opposite of stocks or these kids on Robinhood or on Wall Street are trading and flipping stocks uh, many times a day. Housing doesn't get flipped uh, very often and people might move out of their house maybe after 10 years, after five years. I don't know what the average is. Sometimes after About 40 seven years, years never, is what the seven real years, estate agencies say. Yeah, so, so because it's so liquid, and I'll just wrap up, um, the price is going to be a lot more volatile. So housing is a leading indicator. The question is how much lead time do we have before something potentially calamitous happens, whether it's a deep recession or something like that? I am done speaking. Yeah. Hey, one thing about the housing market, if you think we learned our lesson in 2008, you are sorely mistaken, sir. Uh, When you when you have a a medium home price of close to five hundred thousand dollars, if you think an average American family is is dropping 50 grand, just 10 percent. If you if you think you're dropping that to purchase a house. You're crazy, brother, because let me tell you something. They're going back to the the ninja loans, no income, no this. They're taking 0% down. We're right back where we started. We're at a point. There's absolutely no way. This generation, and by this generation, I'm talking anyone that's like under the age of 25 or even 30, they are priced out of the market, man. This is a sad part of what we got going on here. Those days of being able to literally put 20% down and just finance the rest. Um, I think they're long gone. Um, it, it's going to be spectacular how the the housing market unwinds because I think an implosion is coming soon. Well, if you go back to 2008, it was uh, it was a very delayed effect. You know, you had the the lockup in the markets in 2008, layman and bears and all that stuff. But um, man. I know this firsthand because I bought my first house in 2011, like towards the end of 2011. And that was a foreclosure. And that was three years later. And the real estate market was still just absolutely destroyed. What happens is, is the, the financial markets have their, uh, you know, events and it's the downstream of that. It's corporations then doing mass layoffs. You know, when, when you have a, 
a real estate market that moves up in concert and everybody's bidding higher and higher and everyone thinks the real estate prices are just going to keep going up. They over lever like that. The prices only have to come down 10 or 20 percent. Everybody's underwater. And at that point, you lose your job. You can't make your payments and uh, you're forced to walk away from your home. It's it's a it's a brutal situation. It takes years to play out, though. And that's the thing I think people aren't seeing because, again, they're they're looking really short term. Agreed. Yeah, is there there's just generally a lag on housing prices relative to like more liquid markets, right? I mean, is that I don't know if that's normally the thing, but right now I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, wouldn't the obvious how this wouldn't this sort of obviously play out with like, okay, eventually if there's more QE and there's more, you know, money in the system, liquid assets are gonna pump and then like, you know, then that'll be the time to you know, get your house because, you know, rates theoretically may come down again. And then, you know, but the, but the, you know, the price of homes, like that'll take longer to actually catch up. Like it'll always lag relative to more liquid markets. And I'm like, is that like just the trick? Like, is that how you do housing investing? I don't know. I'm not sure if I lost connection or nobody's talking. If nobody's talking, I'll no just say. Talking. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll just say it's like uh, uh, all markets, really. You know, the people who really make money have foresight and experience, and they're they're, you know, buying when there's blood in the streets. And unfortunately, a lot of retail gets caught because they're rushing in closer to the top. They're late comers, and uh, they finally get the confidence to pull the trigger and invest in something after it's already been uh, bid up. And then they're basically uh, filling the bags of the people that are selling at the top. But is it like maybe harder to see what's coming when you're talking about like super fast moving liquid assets versus the housing market? Right. So like, you know, if, if, Mm -hmm. you know, stocks are crashing, right. If, if liquid markets are crashing, Bitcoin's crashing, you know, Fed raises interest rates, everything's going down, there's going to be a lag, right? Like housing, that'll like take, it'll always take more time for housing to, you know, uh, kind of follow those trends basically, right? Because it takes time for people to buy houses, right? You have to like go through process, you have to like look at stuff, da, 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 right? Like it's just not as liquid. Well, don't forget on the way up, there's like all these stories of like people buying things all cash sight unseen, in real estate, it moves fast, right? That was on the upside. It moves equally as fast on the downside. Because trust me, you need to sell your house and you put it on the market. Um, you tell me what's going to happen to the price when a dozen other houses on your block suddenly have a for sale sign out in front of them. And like now you're competing with all your neighbors to try to sell. And then it just takes, you know, the, sure. the prices come down fast. Sure, 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 sure. But there's still like a little bit of a lag relative to like somebody at a computer at a trading desk, just like pushing buttons. I right? think that's like, right. Like, yeah. And so like, what's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, Terrence, please. Uh, yeah. So basically I think what happens is initially, right. The sellers, they don't live in reality and they'll just take their homes off the market. It's like, well, I paid 
you know, $1 million or $100,000, whatever the price was for my house, I'm not selling it for less than that. Psychologically, it's hard for people to do, even though that's the fair market price because they bought at or near the top. So when they sell, they often pull the, initially they pull their house off the market. It's like, screw it. I'll just rent or I'll just wait. Maybe I won't move or whatever it is. And then to TC's point is um, at some point they're going to have to capitulate and the housing prices can come down really fast. Once the sellers are like, oh shit, I actually really need the cash or I can't be paying two mortgages or whatever it is. Nobody's staying at my Airbnb. Like I'm trying to Airbnb out my home, but no no one wants to Airbnb because, you know, no one's traveling because the economy's bad and so forth. Um, And there's an oversupply of Airbnb homes. So yeah, it's it's just going to come crashing down pretty soon. Here's a unique thing on real estate, all right? Because a lot of times we like to wrap all these assets up into a nice package, all right? You know, you got property, you've got stocks, you've got bonds, you've got gold, you've got Bitcoin. Here's the unique thing about uh, real estate. It is so, it, like they always say, three words, location, location, location. And I'll tell you what, you, you would ha- have to twist my arm and, and uh, throw me off a bridge to buy property in New York City or in California, all right, where everyone is leaving, taxes just go up, you're absolutely nuts. Uh, I'm here in Florida. Florida, honestly, if you're going to buy property, yes, it's gonna, this is the place to be, Texas, all the states that actually survived the lockdown with common sense, these are the places that property is really selling um, but yeah, you're, you're nuts. You gotta be, be careful. If you're going to buy this one thing, just be careful where you do buy. And please, um, because of the leverage and frankly, most Americans have way too much, uh, housing as a, um, in their investment or in their assets, because it's like, you know, it's their biggest single asset and it's, all dependent on a location where you're hoping the price will go up and so forth or just preserve value and not go down like it did in Detroit back in the day or, or wherever. But yeah, it's um, it's pretty leveraged. So please be careful with housing and don't borrow more than you can afford. Like ideally, you would just borrow based on kind of a realistic assessment by banks of your ability to pay but we know banks do a lot of stupid things because they're too big to fail. They get bailed out all the time. So when a big bank offers you a mortgage, sometimes it's off market and maybe you shouldn't be getting that mortgage because the, you know, the house is overvalued or you, you don't make enough to make the payments. And, and um, that right there is the problem with the low interest rate policies that central banks all over the world have been pushing on everyone because everyone thinks they can afford more because they're not looking at what they're borrowing. They're looking at what the monthly payment is. Yeah. Can I afford to make the monthly payment? I literally have friends. I live in California. Okay. A million dollars can buy you a piece of shit in certain places. It's unbelievable. Uh, my friends bought a house and I begged them not to. It was about 18 months ago. The interest rates were at the floor and that's all they were looking at. And it made them completely like brush off my concerns about them borrowing $900,000. I mean, the thing people have to realize yeah. is like, it doesn't take a big move. The price of your home comes down by 25% and now you own nothing. 
and you can't make those payments, something happens to your job. And that was what happened in 2008 is the corporate layoffs kicked in. That kind oh. of was the trigger. Yeah, you see, for, oh, yeah. just real quick, Isabel, I was also going to say the, the adjustable rate mortgage as well. When you were down there, people were down at 3%, and you're going to take an adjustable rate mortgage. Guess what, man? That baby ain't going down much lower. So a lot of people also, that's a, that's a shock in itself. When, you know, within one year, you're from 3%, 2.8, and then a year later, you're up at 6 Man, there, there's some, there's some uh, broken hearts out there. And that, that's like what was so criminal, I think, about a lot of the ninja loans is that people didn't really realize what they were even signing in a lot of instances, right? Like there was a lot of like manipulation, you know, kind of taking advantage of, of folks who didn't really understand what was happening with the adjustable loans. I mean, that's like the, the famous scene, right? And in, in, um, what's that movie? You know, the big short. Big short. The, that's right. That's right. That's stripper, right. Stripper scene. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, you know, when people are thinking about get it, buying mortgages and, and the banks, right, like this is all like a very well understood thing. It's all based on your income. So it assumes that your income is stable. It assumes no layoffs. Right. Like so layoffs are when you're going to start, you know, I think people generally are trying to hold on to their houses as long as they can make their monthly payments. But like when you have like a major economic downturn of any kind, you know, for other reasons, you know, layoffs are never calculated into the whole, can I afford this home thing? Because the mortgage always assumes you're going to have stable monthly income. That's what the mortgage is based on. They're making assumptions that you can afford it. Like 100, like that's like the primary thing that they're looking at is your income. And, and, and this is something you adjust based on like how, kind of how stable your job is. So if, if you're a tenured college professor who's making, I don't know, 80,000 a year versus someone who's making 150, but could be easily laid off and your sector's kind of much more free market than they, they are supposed to look at that. I think they normally look at that. The problem is when rates are really low, they just find ways to kind of reach, uh, deeper and deeper into the pile of um, the populace with um, bad credit scores and just not very stable jobs to your point. But normal, normally when risk is priced, they don't do that as much. I would just add, um, look, number one, you'll, you'll, you'll always hear on any type of Bitcoin talk, um, the system is rigged against you and it's true. However, that doesn't leave you off the hook, my friend, wherever you are. Guess what? Um, I don't know much Latin, but I do know caveat enter, which means buyer beware. And if you're going to put, you're going to put 200, 300, this is years ago, I know it sounds quaint, up to a million dollars into a home, you better do some due diligence. You better do some research into how the financing works. All right. You better do some work into that. Take, take a good look at what is your job? Is it something that I count on this standard monthly income that I get? Is it something that I'm just freelance and it can go from 2000 to 10,000 back to a thousand? I don't know, but Hey, we can't take the, we're all about self-sovereignty here. So also take personal responsibility for how you decide to purchase your home. Yeah. People also very easily overlook the cost of uh, updating their electrical system fixing major plumbing issues, putting a new roof on, 
any number of things that happen guaranteed, like literally the day after the deal's closed and it's yours, like everything starts falling apart right there. The most beautiful your house will ever be is when it is being sold to you or when you are selling it. That's my experience. Wise words from all of you. Uh, I posted something in the nest that I think um, might just to change tack a little bit. We've talked about housing and um, good comments were made and questions asked about like what, why is housing maybe a laggard compared to let's say stocks. So I posted something from Kui Lu, who's um, a kind of an internet friend from clubhouse days and sec economic uh, research guy, economist, sec economist. And he said that the S and P 500 for 12 months leading up to the four periods when inflation unemployment exceeded 8%, the stock market's always kind of gone down before um, um, in, unemployment uh, goes way up. It just makes logical sense. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it almost seems like the real estate market is like the one market where you kind of sort of have a hint about what's coming, right? Because if liquidity is drying up in other markets, that's going to affect companies' ability to borrow and employ people, keep people employed or employ them in the first time. Like, it just makes sense. You're going to see like liquid markets go, then employment goes, then housing goes. Like, there's like an order of operations, it seems to me. Yes. I think, and here's the thing with, with, with real estate, it's because of the illiquid nature of it, how long it takes to um, transfer these properties that leads to that because we're not, I mean, we got a financial system built on the house of cards. Um, I have no idea how they value anything anymore. I have no clue um, the money that's being printed how that it gets thrown into the system. How do you value, evaluate these companies? How do you put value to them? Um, the way the credit system is set up, I don't know, at least with the real estate market, I know it takes some time to go through the process. So I think it's a great point, Isabel. Yes, it'll be interesting. Like, it, you know, if you look at like a, an asset like Bitcoin as being like possibly a harbinger for whatever's going on in the real estate market, right? You can kind of tell like, okay, oh, wow. Okay, so some emergency happened, something bad happened, and the Fed is pivoting, Bitcoin is pumping, you know, stocks are like rallying, whatever. Um, maybe now's the time to buy my house because the housing market might still be low. Again, no, no financial advice. It's just like, um, it's just sort of, I think, interesting to kind of see that there are these patterns that exist in terms of like which markets, what markets are doing what and what's affecting what. And it seems like, what do they call it? They call Bitcoin the canary in the coal mine or whatever. But like, you could also, you could, you could imagine that going in either direction. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll jump in and keep going. Um, you know what's been amazing over this this journey? So, yeah, Terrence, Merry Christmas, by the way. Um, everyone up on stage, Merry Christmas, and looking forward to a very happy new year in 2023. Um, yeah, we may be in some more, for some more pain. Um, but what's been interesting to me has been the narrative shift, all right? Um, you know, those of us that started at the end of 2017 found this asset class like, well, what the hell is this, man? It went from like a thousand this year to seventeen thousand, eighteen. 
uh, yeah, it was, hey, this is where you make money. But the more you dive in, man, you peel that onion, the, the layers of Bitcoin has been fascinating. The store value. Not even This is even before we had Lightning. It wasn't even a meme exchange, but it's been fascinating to watch. Um, the different players come into this space, you know, even your Jack Bowers using using it just as the rails, the rails to, to, to send value from one country to another where you don't have Western Union ripping you off for 25, 30 percent. It's Michael Saylor with the melting ice cube. That was one thing uh, for me. Uh, and, you know, I like to reflect back on the year, man, and especially at the lockdowns, I could care less if it dropped 20 percent a year. Um, I, I saw the value of Bitcoin when I when I saw what was happening in Canada. And on a whim, you're um, you're deemed a terrorist because you drive a truck and decide to peacefully protest. So I love the fact that Bitcoin is so much to so many different people for so many different reasons. You know, you have hyperinflation in all these com- countries from Venezuela, you know, to to Turkey, and that, and it helps them. And then you, you you look in Africa, all right. When they can take it, I, when you see Bitcoin being transferred off what what we would consider old technology, value that they have is unbelievable. But even in the West, man, the draconian laws put out by Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, is something that it is a it's a lifesaver and a life changer. So uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. That's my sort of end of year rant there. Yeah, we, we may be in for more pain, and you inspired me to post in the nest one of my own tweets from eight hours ago. Uh, assuming markets are flattered down for most risk assets for the next one to three years, what will actually move the needle in Bitcoin in that time and why? Because uh, one thing that I can say is if the transaction volume is flat, or oh, sorry, if the price is flat or in, we're in a sideways market trading within a narrow range, transaction volumes will go down. It's good in a way because, you know, trading is not very productive, but it's bad because the people kind of give up and they stop their dollar cost averaging. They get bored. They start um, doing an asset that's much more volatile and they'll invest or pay attention to that instead. So what can we do? in sort of a flat market. We all know that in a in a bull market, right? We don't need to do anything. Our friends, relatives, and neighbors will be asking us about Bitcoin. It's much easier to orange pill in a bull market. Um, bear market, you can get people who are wise to buy the dips, uh, bargain hunters, whales, and so forth. In flat markets, it's a little harder. So just curious what you guys, if you guys have thoughts on that. If not, we can, we can, Maybe think about it. Bring it up tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. I have for, two uh, guesses. Go for the rest of the week. <laughs> I have two guesses to that question. It, like, I mean, one thing I can say to that, Terrence, is, and I, I know this is kind of like. Well, wait, wait, wait. Isabel was speaking. Tell. I don't know if you could hear her. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear. Her. Sorry. No, oh, it's no. Okay. I was just going to say, like, what would it take? Like, what would have to happen in the markets for like Bitcoin to have a big move? If, like, assuming risk assets just stay sideways, and I would like my two guesses for that. Like, my main guesses for that would be like regulation, like allowing more institutional investment, and a Bitcoin ETF. Excuse me, Bitcoin spot ETF. Yes, spot ETF. I agree for sure. We we've had the. Um, I I like your point of 
in theory about the regulation. In practice, we had a big change in the FASB accounting, but I think because we're in a bear market or sideways market the, almost the whole year, um, or at least since June, let's say, um, there's just no confidence and the political will for another Michael Saylor, as someone who has control of a company, right, owns most of the shares, and the board listens to him that, or her, um, that that CEO, there is no second Michael Saylor that we know of that's at any real scale who's public about it, who runs a public company, even a smaller one, who is um, kind of putting Bitcoin on balance sheet. Because the FASB rules change so that they now have fair market um, accounting. So you don't have this stupid thing where Bitcoin's treated as an intangible asset, which, you know, was kind of shoehorning an old kind of policy that was meant for intellectual property and reputation and brand goodwill um, to, so that you can only have a downward one-way ratchet. So if Bitcoin goes down from 69 to 17 and goes back up to 100,000, which it will soon, who, who knows what soon is, but, you know, fairly soon, um, that you still have to keep your Bitcoin marked at 17,000 because it's like, you know, one way sort of impairment. It's a really stupid rule that didn't make sense for Bitcoin, but, you know, the accounting rules took time to catch up and they did catch up, but we haven't seen that bump up in the Bitcoin price that you would have had if, um, like, if this was happening last year, Bitcoin could have gone easily to over 100,000, I think. You know, for, oh, go ahead. Please go no, ahead. No, 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 well. you go, you go, you go. Oh, I, I was just going to say, um, yeah, it's been interesting to me um, because it's been a couple of years. You had the first major country in El Salvador, um, your your first major corporation. And by major, I mean they were small at the time, never heard of them. This micro strategy that puts Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And I'm actually quite amazed there hasn't been more that followed. I don't know the reason for this. Um, when I look back of March of 2020, and Bitcoin's kicking around between $4,800 and $5,000. Um, to come to this lockdown, to this whole pandemic, and you had a 3X, all right? That's not a minimum, call it 15000 Now let's call it 20. You almost have a 4X. Look, they got over, they got leveraged up to the 69000 point. I get it. But I am quite shocked, to be honest with you, why no other... Um, corporation or country has put a little bit now, I'm, I'm not saying that they had to go 100 percent in um, but hey you better put something on the balance sheet 10 percent, even 20 percent, because there's no other asset class that has done as well as bitcoin so so i think um like yeah china and russia have been doing that probably the u.s although how much of that is from like u.s marshals confiscating Bitcoin and then intending to auction it at some point or, or why versus like the U.S. just mining or buying it outright. U.S. government is so big and vast. I have to think that they bought some, but it's unclear how much. Yeah, somebody made the point to me recently that you know, if the U.S. government was seriously buying Bitcoin, wouldn't the market cap be higher? Like our market cap's not that yes. big. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. Unless you, uh, it is possible that they're 
whales like um, Barry Silbert and his crew and others manipulating the price. So they could just be, because he owns so much Bitcoin, they could just be dumping anytime, you know, someone's buying to suppress the price because they're front running with derivatives and like cash, paper Bitcoin, cash uh, settled puts or whatever they're doing, or or they don't want to, yeah, get liquidated um, on their, on their, uh, they're, they're trading and they control so much of it they could dump and then th- there is it is also possible that some of the a lot of us know earlier um ogs in bitcoin who don't really understand it i have to say <laughs> uh they understand it at some level because they got in early so good for them and they own a lot of bitcoin but they're like you know dumping bitcoin to shitcoin or just to live in their mansion and i get it you know if you have a lot of Bitcoin here early, why not sell some of it? But there seems to be, someone's definitely selling. I don't know how much of it is um, leveraged shorts. Last year, we had a lot of levered longs that um, got uh, pushed the price higher and higher, and then they got liquidated. Are those the primary people selling now? Like, are the primary, that's what I can't talk about. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, or is it miners who are like underwater? Like, I'm like, who is definitely like, miners are selling all the time, right? Yeah. So, first, miners had a lot of inventory because they thought Bitcoin would keep going up. And that was something Michael Saylor alluded to about Bitcoin miners believe in Bitcoin and they hold it, unlike gold miners who just sell every ounce of gold they mine, right? As soon as it's mined. Right. But now we're learning that, um, you know, it's okay to learn. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, we're learning that, hey, maybe if you're a miner, you should just sell as soon as you mine instead of kind of taking this risk. And maybe you should buy um, cheap, if if there is such a thing, cheaper derivatives to hedge out your price so that you can kind of lock in a, a profitable price, even if the hash rate goes way up and the price falls, you're able to sell because you have these forward contracts or whatever. So that's one group of sellers. Um, well, they'll need to get they'll selling. need to get Sorry, smarter about trading, right? Like the way, like in the oil industry, that's like standard practice, right? Yes. And on gas, that's stand, they have all of these safeties in place with derivatives and futures, con- you know, things that they do to hedge out the risk. And yes. I, I imagine the average. I mean, I'm certainly there's sophisticated Bitcoin miners who may be doing that, but I imagine your average miner, you know, smaller mining operations, not, you know. No, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, some of the smaller ones are okay. The ones that did not over leverage so we have miners that are very experienced and private they like to do their own thing you know have control and they they won't buy um, pay ridiculous prices for asic miners from bitmain or what's miner and have them delivered like a year or two late usually at a time when the bitcoin price is falling um um, so yeah that will happen i i do want to say i do think a lot of people who own bitcoin who are selling or have sold they don't believe in it they never really understood it we did a bad job kind of um educating them and they did a bad job kind of educating themselves so they don't know what they have and they're dumping it because they get frustrated with the price they're very short term i think it was tc who mentioned how short term everybody is these days or and um anyway so that's one. And then another group that's selling is, and this is very sad. It breaks my heart. They do understand it, but they can't afford to hold it. It's just too painful. Like they've already downsized. They moved back in with their parents. They've lost their job. They're maybe they're working three shitty jobs, right? 
minimum wage, which can be not very much. In certain parts of the country, I think in Texas, minimum wage is $7.40 an hour. Anyway, um, so they're just um, can't afford to hold Bitcoin because Bitcoin is crashing at the same time that they're, you know, they're losing their jobs and they can't afford to. It's It could be the one asset that they own in size because they really believe in it. They understand it, but they just don't can't afford to hold on to it without, you know, going homeless or something quite bad. Right. Well, this is like the great equalizer, like amongst all like assets of all kinds, including we talked about this with real estate, but it's like once people lose their jobs, it's like game, you know, it's yeah, it's brutal. Everything's up for grabs. Yeah. I wish there was a way, um, you know, we talk about this all the time. We've been here for a few years now and I wish there was a way, you know, like sort of like a, your 401k has that penalty. Um, you got to pay 10%. Oh, by the way, you're also going to pay income tax on it, but you're sort of incentivized to hang on to it. Even in the worst of times, uh, Bitcoin doesn't have it, but you're right. Um, the, the fluctuations of life are such that guess what? Sometimes, yeah, you, you found Bitcoin one, two, three years ago. But life changes, man. Your circumstances change. You got to get your value back at what it is. Um, I think we knew, need to do a better job. Um, and Terrence, you, you guys know this as Swan, man. I don't, I don't know how you do the education because it's something for everybody. Is something um, for different reasons, yeah. and you got to educate them on. Listen, this could be your savings account. This could be your retirement account. I would tell any any kid: Do not buy property today. Do not waste your money on a, a, on, a, on buying a home. Listen, just buy a bit of Bitcoin. What you can afford to sleep with uh, comfortably. Go to bed at night. No, it's going to be very volatile. Anything that you don't need to see for. 10 years, 20 years, this is what you do with it. Uh, man, it, there's hard choices in this economy to make. At the end of the day, Bitcoin, everyone has a different um, amount. Some, I get it, 100% in, man, they can live off it. Um, others, look, just put 10% in there. You, it, but it's an asset class so unique, so beautiful, that you you need some exposure at least. Yes, well said. Thank you. Um, and I want to point out in the nest, I just posted, what's the big urgent unmet need that Bitcoin needs for most people who do have money? Um, we know that Bitcoin is extremely useful as something that is um, hard to confiscate if you live in the global south under a dictator, which many people do. And maybe you, you know, the government just doesn't like you. Maybe you're politically opposed, right, and trying to bring about good change for you and your fellow citizens or, um, of that country, but and you're trying to overthrow a corrupt government, so the government's going to try to censor you, they're going to try to take your money, they're going to try to, you know, do whatever, put you in jail and so forth. So Bitcoin is resistance money for those people, um, and to, you know, Puppy's point, Bitcoin is something different for everybody, but um, what is the what is the problem that Bitcoin solves that's kind of urgent? How can it solve it uniquely um, for people with money? Because those are the ones that will move the price. And we've seen that with price movement comes um, 
more price movement, so volatility because volatility, and you kind of get this virtual cycle where Bitcoin can achieve escape velocity and maybe go from the 17,000 range to, you know, 100,000 or whatever it is, the next kind of big bump up. And I think, you know, when people talk about like hedge against inflation or whatever, I always try to say like hedge against debasement, right? As being this yes. like distinction, right? From inflation. But, you know, Bitcoin, like it tracks the money supply. Like it's like this very like clear track of whatever's going on with the money supply, right? Monetary is tightening. Bitcoin's going to go down. If they're loosening, Bitcoin's going to go up, right? And so it's like whatever the Fed is doing over there you kind of have some level of like, there's this zone of safety where I'm just, you know, I don't, I'm just not dealing with whatever is happening with the Fed, quote unquote, good or bad, right? Like I can just be, there's this pile of, of, you know, this asset that I have, that's just sort of inherently protected from whatever is going, you know, that's, that's tracking whatever's going on over there. So that I'm, it's, it's almost like, um, uh, yeah, like there's just this, it's like real money. It's real, it's real money that's not being screwed with, basically. Excellent. Real money that can't be screwed with. I love that. Um, Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Gerard Depardieu is a famous or is a famous, I don't know if he's still alive, French actor. Um, I, I don't know if you have something you wanted to say, you requested to come up on this or something else. Gerard. You're right. Uh, Gerard Depardieu is a French actor and listen, an inspiration to us all. That guy could drink copious amounts of alcohol, like literally like two, three bottles of wine at dinner. Um, Frenchman, some great movies he has made, even uh, the classic uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. He had done a version of. Yeah, I, you know, let's get back to this for a second. Can um, Isabel, Terrence, you guys, look, obviously um, I'm not from any type of financial background. But how in the hell do do not only the retail, how do how do companies, corporations and countries look at an asset class, for lack of a better term, or a commodity with now, you know, almost 15 years of existence? All right. We'll call 14 years, almost 15 years of existence of average annualized returns over 100 percent. And how do you not get some exposure to it? I don't understand the mindset. It's almost like, you know, when you told your, your grandparents, hey, we got this thing called yeah. the Internet. You can send you can send an email. And now, look, I, I do miss there used to be a beauty. And there was something to sitting down and writing a letter to somebody. Handwriting was a gift. Sitting down, taking the time to write out a letter and mail it. I get that email change that. However, you need some exposure to it. You need some exposure, again, to the internet and, again, to Bitcoin. I don't understand. What is the mental block that keeps people and the, everyone from coming in? 
I I think people I think like you know a lot of big money and a lot of just like people in general are allergic to volatility allergic to it really I mean especially when you think about like you know most you know if you just think about financial services industry their kind of judgments right the way that they are judged is usually on a quarterly basis maybe on an annual basis obviously you have the like kind of rare birds like the Kathy Woods of the world that are like actively taking long term views but like in general you know they're looking at their quarterlies right i mean that's like the kind of the most common um way that people assess whether or not they're succeeding you know in investments and so I just, yeah, I think that that's like a really, that's like just like a real hurdle for a lot of people. Like they just don't, they're not, yeah, again, it's short time horizon, I guess. Um, and that, that's because of their lack of knowledge, right? When if they don't understand yeah. what Bitcoin is, right? They, they're they going to be like really, really scared. Um, they don't understand that now we're in the middle of sort of price discovery. And this is a, still a really nascent technology. Right, how many years? Not thirteen, fourteen years, and there's still so many things that can change and be developed upon, and so many things can be happening. So, I mean, even the concept itself is a completely new thing. When people hear it for the very first time, they're already, is this possible? It's such a big change, and so that's why people have this fear. Yeah, here, here's the crazy part to me. Um, you know, let. You, we can pick a date out of the hat. Let's call it um, 1992 for the internet, we'll say. All right. Internet starts in 92. Let's fast forward 14 years. Internet 14 years later, okay, 2006 was a hell of a lot different then. And if you couldn't see it in 2006, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you couldn't see the value of the internet, from 92 and the growth until 2006, man, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but you're right. I think Isabel hit a, a, a great point there on the volatility, the volatility of it and everyone looking at everything as an investment for short-term gain. I, I Sometimes you got to take a longer look. I, I, you know, yeah, it's a TikTok world. I guess we're in right now. And uh, yeah, if your video is longer than eight seconds, you bore me. So true. Um, I do think in a bear market, right, it's up to us um, to, you know, those of us who realize how cheap it is and the potential who already get it to, you know, cut costs, make more money, buy more, stack more sets. But, but and then for new people, it might make sense to say, because they've seen it go down from 69,000 to 17, that, hey, um, you don't have to ape in all at once. Bitcoin is obviously volatile and could go down some more, but it's hard to predict. But you should get some just in case this thing takes off and start dollar cost averaging or just buy dips or whatever, just start accumulating instead of waiting around when it's pretty obvious that the Fed is kind of swinging, you know, putting their thumbs thumb on the scale and kind of oversteering um, and other central banks are oversteering. And now you see Japan, which had 30 years of low inflation, despite massive money printing and just massive deflation and stagnation. They now have um, economic inflation. Finally, after 30 years of printing, despite horrible demographics and 
technology, which was also deflationary, but now they have to, uh, you know, double their interest rates. It's only 0.5% for whatever the month, one month um, Japanese bonds, but it's still a doubling um, and a huge kind of massive jump. So we'll see what happens, but if things are getting interesting and you don't want to be too, things to get too interesting <laughs> before you have some downside protection, which is uh, Bitcoin. I saw someone today had posted, I guess, a, um, I don't know if it was a gift um, or inheritance, but they, they basically said, I have enough enough to um, buy a whole Bitcoin. I, I'm debating what to do. Do I buy the whole Bitcoin or I do, do I wait for 10,000, 11,000? I'm thinking, I thought, man, look, if you find any type, we call I call it found money. Found money is that unexpected bonus, unexpected gift, whatever. Um, at these prices, you you smash by. <laughs> you just smash by because if you're going to try to wait, all right. If you're going to try to wait, you'll never get there. Um, at worst, I'd say put down fifty to sixty percent and then DCA in. But at these prices, with with the mayor multiple, which if you don't know is a two hundred day moving average divided by the current Bitcoin price, these are uh, unheard of levels that you rarely see. And it's amazing to me, and this money and psychology will always be there, but it happened before. And you want to talk about a retracement from 20,000 down to 3,400, 83%. And I'm thankful that I started at the top. I know many of you guys did at 69,000. You guys will be the, the strong hands of the future. Because let me tell you something, you're the ones buying when everyone is fearful, like guy was and when i remember when it dropped under ten thousand for the first time i was like my god i can i can recoup some of this investment it's happening and what we got under five thousand i was man i i i was incredulous how was no one else just doubling down and buying more and this is what you got to see right now man you gotta see these opportunities for what they are um i know it's scary but those are the stacks that really not only change your life. I mean, man, you just get it. Isabel, I, I think you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm totally agreeing with everything you're saying. And I also think that, like, you know, I always I'm, I'm trying to help people understand also the concept of like average buy price, you know. So like, OK, OK, you're underwater right now, whatever percent like, you know you can change your average buy price by buying at these lower numbers, right? Like that's how you get your average buy price down, right? So um, I mean, that's sort of how I'm thinking about it right now is like, okay, how, you know, I also was like class of 2021 and I'm like, okay, how can I get my, how can I like take advantage of getting my average buy price as low as possible? These are the days that you do it. Days like this. The days like Terrence, I, lo I love the fact that's why like, we're going to do a toxic happy hour later, but I, I got other holiday stuff going on. We may may skip, but it's when you have like Terrence jumping in for Alex, who's getting a well-deserved break here from Swan. It's everyone that you see in this audience should get a follow because this is what bear markets are all about. The people that are here talking, hanging out that understand what Bitcoin is. Hey, look, there's no rah, rah, rah stuff right now for Bitcoin, is there? There's a lot of people that riding that Bitcoin uh, bull run high. Guess what? Sometimes we're down here together, man. We're down here to understand the volatile nature of it, but understand the brilliance of it as well and how it's going to change the world. 
Yeah, Puppy. Um, I remember bringing this up when we were at 50, 60K. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's very easy for people to um, talk a lot or have these spaces or have these activities when prices, uh, when times are good and everybody's like that. I'm like, I want to see, I was, I was really curious right now. So I said, I want to see if we go down to 20K, if those same people who say they have all this conviction and belief and, and, and everything uh, about Bitcoin that they would still be around and doing what we're currently doing, this talking and still have, price has no effect on us. And I was like, I'm just really curious. And so many people have dropped off since that has happened. But to the people who really understand and have really good conviction like, conviction like we do, I mean, it's just nothing. We know what this stands for and we're here. Like we continue to talk, we continue to enjoy, we continue to stack like every single day. And so that's, that, that's the point I want to throw out there because now I can see who the real sort of true believers are. Yeah, that's really well said. I much rather, I really like uh, bear market uh, Bitcoin because you find out who is really going to stick with you when times get tough and who's like, and there's, you know, a lot less hype. There's a lot less scammers because like they're going to scam people. There's no, there's not much, not a lot of hopium. Uh, there's too much pessimism, but there's not a lot of hopium, which is what kind of when the scammers come out with their very stupid fake Bitcoin products or crypto or whatever. Yeah, and I want to add to that, and I hate to bring this up because no, people, some people are like, oh, no, not again, right? Um, finding the stack chain community for me, um, this gave me another level of fun that I didn't have on Bitcoin Twitter while stacking sats. It's like I found my, my sort of crew and... I like before when I was stacking sats, you know, it was like it was good and everything, but to have the ability to stack and have fun at the same time was just a big deal. And like it, it just makes me stack way more and like okay, every day. Like I just I just did a coffee stack this morning, right? Because you have these little niche things that make it more fun in a bear market. Like these things just come out of nowhere. And so every every day. People, like I was like, you know, if I'm gonna drink a cup of coffee, I'm gonna smash mine. And so I've been doing that ever since I started that. And so it's just like so fun, this whole community. And I'm so glad I found them. <laughs> yeah, you guys are gonna be the OGs in the next cycle. I wanted to say something about volatility really quick. You know, a lot of people they like tend to freak out about Bitcoin's volatility and you know how it goes up and down and, you know, double digit swings and relatively short periods of time in people's minds and things like that. And I get it because I did the same thing for a very long time. You know, I, I was also in that mindset. And I also understand that like in periods right now, whenever volatility is low, there's like a lot of people who are like reading charts and stuff like that and like inferring different directions that Bitcoin is going to do, whatever, whatever. But there comes a point where you, when you recognize what Bitcoin really is and, and like most people who talk about it still don't, they, they're like incorrect when they talk about it, but they, they, when you really realize what we're dealing with here and like the fact that we've never seen anything like this before, there's, it's like, it's the volatility comes from there. There's something that is 
of extreme value that has hit our planet and all the people around the world that are into it are or are not again or not into it even are placing their bets and they're saying like you know there's some people that are saying it's worth this and there's some people that are saying that it's not worth that it's a scam bitcoin's a scam or bitcoin is going to change humanity and there's like different levels it's a it's like a sliding scale where are you on your value like what that you put into bitcoin so we have this asset and it's being traded across all of these exchanges and in, in like this most liquid manner that where anybody can just wake up and go, you know what? I think Bitcoin's worth less now to me. And they hop in and they make a make an action on that on that thought. It's going to be like this. It's going to continue like this. It's not going to get less volatile. It will over time. I believe that over time, when Bitcoin becomes like more like global money, then yeah, we'll have like this curve. It's going to be that curve where we reach that top part of it, and it starts to go over to the right on a lot of different things. But right now, in 2022, this is where a severe like opportunity exists that if you can calm your emotions about the whole thing and just chill, then you can actually find some good places where you can actually play ga mind games with yourself and you say, this is a great entry point for Bitcoin. Literally, I mean, if you believe that Bitcoin is worth $35 million a coin, then yeah, anytime I buy today is going to be a good entry point. But short-term reasoning and thinking and life experiences also exist. So you do have to kind of play those little short-term games. I mean, at the end of the day, this volatility is a massive opportunity for people sitting on the sidelines who are saying, should I get in? Should I get out? And listen, it sucks to make a big purchase. I do it all the time, guys. I, I buy thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin and it drops immediately. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, and that's after me watching it for a while. And then, then it just goes down. It just happens. It's like it's a part of it. And somebody said it earlier, I think Isabel said it, you know, you find that cost basis and you you try to get yourself down to like uh, you're playing defense now because you you believe in the asset so strongly that now you're going to play defense and you're going to just keep stacking more. It's not because we're like raving lunatics. It's because you realize what it is. Well, maybe we are about Bitcoin, but, you know, you realize what it is. And so, you know, you're trying to get your seat on the bus. You're trying to grow as big of a stack as you can while we're still here in 2022 at these prices and the volatility is crazy. And I know if somebody gets off zero and it drops like a rock, that's a scary thing, but that's a part of it. So that's just the idea. There's opportunities there. And then the other thing somebody said earlier about availability of Bitcoin, and I used to do that too. Like I used to tell people that, oh, there's only so much left. I've even said it on you know, cafe Bitcoin in certain aspects where I'll say like, you know, companies or Fortune 500, you know, there's only so much liquid Bitcoin on exchanges for, for the, you know, like a bunch of Fortune 500 companies to come in and, and build a war chest, for example. But none of that's really true either. Like you look at it, I mean, this money exists, there's more than enough Bitcoin to go around. And yes, there's a lot of hodlers, but the price, there's a price for everybody to move those, move those UTXOs. So it's like, it's just the money's there. It just needs to become activated, so to speak, with this, like, it needs to get sucked up into that volatility we've been talking about. It all goes hand in hand. And so then that's where you have somebody, you're trying to orange pill them. I mean, think about this opportunity that's happening right now. 
And, you know, the availability is that it is there. It's there for everybody, but the price is going to go way up at some point if a bunch of these companies and people try to come out in this thing and the liquidity or the the amount of the circulating supply that that is available, I don't know what I could say, the available supply, whatever you want to call it, is just not there. Then we have to start reaching into those old school hodlers who said they were going to hold on forever, but there's a price all the way up. So I'm just saying it's there's more than enough to go around. Volatility is a is a part of it. I don't believe it's you know going to be there forever, but this is the opportunity now, you know. And when I say not forever, I mean it may not even be in my lifetime. It may I may fucking die, and it may still be going crazy. Who knows? But it's a big opportunity. I love that, Matt. Thank you. And with that, I think we will close. It is nine oh four. AM and uh, Pacific time. We'll see you guys tomorrow. And then Wednesday through Friday this week, we'll have the great Nico and his epic rants. So if you missed it today, come back for that um, Wednesday through Friday. Uh, thanks everyone, especially the listeners who um, join us and some of you join every day with Alex. So we appreciate you coming on the day after Christmas to join us. And also my fellow speakers, what a phenomenal uh, group today. I learned a lot. I really enjoyed the civil kind of calm discussion. It's really, really cool. So see you guys tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific, hopefully. Okay, thanks everyone. Take care.